Hey everyone, this is Stacey Lindis from Podcast PD, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual host. Make sure you check out all of the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com and get ready because the learning begins in three, two, one. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. I'm your host, Greg Goins, and my special guest today is Todd Henry, a best-selling author, speaker, and consultant on leadership, creativity, and strategies to help teams generate brilliant ideas. Since 2005, Todd Henry has been the founder and host of the highly popular Accidental Creative Podcast. He's also released a book by the same name in 2011 called The Accidental Creative, How to Be Brilliant in a Moment's Notice. His most recent book is titled Herding Tigers, Be the Leader That Creative People Need. It was a great thrill to talk to Todd Henry today as we talked about leadership, culture, and how we can actually teach creativity to kids in our schools. He's truly a servant leader and one of the nicest people you're ever going to meet. Be sure to follow Todd on Twitter at Todd Henry. You can also check out his website at ToddHenry.com if you want to schedule him for an education conference, or bring him to work within your school district. As always, thanks so much for listening to the Reimagined Schools podcast. Be sure to share out our episodes on social media with your friends and colleagues. And remember, you can always join the conversation with the Reimagined Schools hashtag. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Todd Henry. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast. I'm thrilled today to have a very special guest, Mr. Todd Henry. How are you, Todd? Greg, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Now, you are uh, one of those guys that, that has had great success as an author, as a podcaster. Uh, you have a new book out called Herding Tigers, Be the Leader That Creative People Need. Uh, you do a lot of speaking. You work with a lot of, uh, I guess, corporations. Fortune 500 companies. Today, we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk about school leadership, if that's okay. And uh, I first found you with your podcast. I know you've been doing that since 2005. Uh, Isn't it amazing how uh, that medium and social media has been a game changer just in leadership development in general? Absolutely. You know, it's amazing. Uh, when I, I mean, when I first, I was funny, I was, I was actually talking with um, Seth Godin about this yesterday. We did a little interview um, for an event we're both speaking at. And um, he was talking about writing and how writing, when he discovered blogging, it just changed his world. He's like, oh, this is a medium made for me. And I felt the same way about podcasting in 2004. When I first started coming across podcasting, I thought, oh my gosh, I can talk into a microphone and somebody in another part of the planet can listen to it. And it's, you know, I can just talk to them and they can listen to it. It was just, uh, it unlocked all kinds of possibilities. And like you said, for leadership development, the fact that somebody like you or somebody like me can just get on a microphone and talk for 10, 15 minutes and somebody in California or Kalamazoo or, you know, Cairo can download it and, you know, listen to it and apply it to their life in some capacity. And you can find people that are interested in what you have to say anywhere, anytime. 
it's it's a remarkable medium. Um, so yeah, I've been podcasting since 2005, and uh, it's uh, it is I, I think it's sort of my native native media, right? Even though I write books, I think podcasting is sort of the the place where I come alive the most for sure. And you could find the podcast, the Accidental Creative, and other uh, audio. Uh, offerings from Todd at his website at toddhenry.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at Todd Henry. And uh, again, as we kind of think about this process of leadership, um, you know, you, you're probably familiar with Sir Ken Robinson and his great TED talk, Do Schools Kill Creativity? Mm. And, um, you know, that's something we've been talking a lot about in education the last couple of years. And, and uh, Ken Robinson says creativity is just as important in education today as literacy. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm sure you had a chance to watch that. And what are your thoughts about creating more opportunities for kids to be creative in schools? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. So we have three kids in school right now, uh, 15, 13, and 11. So we sort of sp- run the, the gamut of experiences. And, you know, we are fortunate to be in a great school system. Um, we love the school system. We love the teachers. We love the curriculum. We love everything about where we are. And at the same time, even in a great school system, you know, you can see the pressure that our kids feel often is how do I get to the right answer? You know, it's about having the right answer versus um, how do I learn to be able to think systemically and connect dots and be able to think across disciplines. And there's a certain amount of platform building you have to do. There's a certain amount of just immersion in the core elements of any topic you have to do before you can begin to connect dots across platforms, right? So you have to understand the basics of history before you can start making predictions about what's going to happen next, you know? And you have to understand the basics of economics before you can begin to sort of look for macroeconomic trends. Um, And so I, I totally get that. But I do think that to some degree... Um, you know, we're entering an age where we're not going to lack information. What we're going to lack, I think, is in the words of D. Hawk, who is the founder and chair emeritus of, of Visa, we're going to lack wisdom. You know, we're going to lack the ability to turn that information into wisdom. And the way that we turn that information into wisdom is by spotting patterns, by connecting dots, by learning to think systemically, learning to think across disciplines. And so, um, you know, my biggest, my biggest hope for my kids is not that they will remember all the answers, but that they will learn to be wise in how they apply that information, which is knowledge applied with some sort of moral core or some sort of character um, under undergirding it is how Hawk defined it. Um, you know, it's not enough just to know stuff if you can't apply it in a way that is wise. Um, and so that's sort of my, my hope for my kids is that it's not just that they're growing in their capacity to, to think and to know things, but that they then can creatively spot opportunity and apply that with some sort of underpinning of, uh, of character that allows them to create change in the world in some way. So um, I don't know if that answers your question, but I, I do definitely think that teaching kids how to connect dots is probably the most important skill that we can give them. And, you know, we're seeing a shift now in schools uh, throughout the country where we're kind of going to this 20% time, uh, you know, the Google philosophy, uh, some people call it genius hour, a FedEx time. Uh, you're starting to see, um, you know, old library spaces that were underutilized being turned into vibrant maker spaces where kids have a chance to, to use hands-on activities and, and create things. So I, I guess the big question in my mind is, can we really teach kids how to be creative? Is there a process or is there a curriculum that we can kind of go through and say, hey, this is how you connect the dots if you want to be a creator. 
Yeah. I, I, I do think that there's a, a way that you could teach it to kids. I think, um, if nothing else, you can just help them understand that you have to begin by defining the problem, right? I think sometimes kids just want to jump in and do stuff and, um, you have to teach them how to step back and say, okay, hold on time out before we just jump in and start working on this. Let's make sure that we define the problem we're actually trying to solve here. What is the problem? Okay, great. Now let's look at all of the relevant information that we have at our disposal. Okay. What are the things that we know? Okay. What are the things that we know that we don't know? Right. And what are the things that are, we maybe kind of know we suspect and maybe we want to test and play around with, because that's a big part of the creative process is playing around with things. Um, but I do think that if we could just teach kids, make sure that you're, you're, you're not trying to create a product, you're trying to solve a problem, right? So step back and think about what problem are we actually solving here? And then now let's look at all of the relevant stimuli we have in our environment. Let's begin to connect them, play around with them, see what surprising things happen. And then let's begin to experiment and iterate and make and, and see where that leads us. And let's learn and then let's redefine the problem. After we've done this, okay, well, we've learned some things now that we've played around a little bit. How do we redefine the problem now, right? Um, and if we can just teach the kids that process that you need to allow space for definition, for learning, for playing, for iteration, for redefining, um, I think that's a, hu a huge win, frankly. And then I also think teaching kids how to determine what a good idea actually is. Okay, so what is a successful result in the creative process? How do you determine what a good idea actually is? Um, you know, that, that I think is something that's often lacking in culture in general. I mean, I meet managers all the time of big companies who have knocked down drag out fights with their team because there's no clear definition of what a good idea actually is. And so it's all based on gut. It's all based on someone's opinion. Um, so I think even if we can teach kids some framework for evaluating their ideas in the creative process, um, that creativity isn't just about how novel something is. It's also about how effective it is. Um, I think that that would, that would go a long way as well. But yes, the answer is yes. I believe we can teach kids creativity for sure. And you talked a little bit about culture, and we know that climate and culture are very important, whether it's a, a business organization or a school. And, um, you know, whether you're dealing with, with teachers, uh, school administrators, or kids, at the end of the day, we have to create a culture of risk-taking. And we have to make it okay to take those risks and be courageous. And if we fail, that's just part of the learning process. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's, and failure is never the objective. You know, I hear there's sort of a, a culture in which we fetishize failure a bit these days, you know, all oh, you failed. Good way to go. No, 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 no. Failure is never the objective, but we have to be comfortable with the possibility of failure. And we also have to define what failure is. You know, failure, failure, um, doesn't necessarily mean that, uh, we, you know, abandon the project, right? Failure could be a, an opportunity to learn. Failure could also be a, a signal to us that, okay, this was an idea that we tried and it didn't work and we need to adjust, we need to learn from it, we need to move on. But, you know, failure looks a lot different to adults than it does to kids, you know? Um, I think that we have to be also very careful to help kids understand, listen, if you're gonna try weird things <laughs> as part of your process, um, you're probably gonna get some weird looks and people are probably going to say things to you and they're probably going to call you weird. And listen, um, I just got back from speaking at the story conference where, um, there was a, the theme was from Alice in Wonderland and Alice at one point in the, the film adaptation, uh, I think turns to her father and says, you know, father, am I, 
am I weird? Or father, am I, you know, am I, am I mad? Am I, am I mad? Am I going crazy? And her father says, yes, I'm afraid you are, but I have a secret for you. All the best ones are right. And I think that we have to help kids understand, listen, your perspective is valuable. doesn't mean it's right, but it's valuable because it helps all of us achieve, you know, sort of a, a collective perspective that's going to get us closer to the truth. So I think taking risks, encouraging kids to take risks, try things, be willing to be weird, you know, and be willing to be wrong. That's just part of life. Sarah Blakely, the, the founder of Spanx, said that every night she would come home uh, to dinner and, uh, you know, when she was younger and her father would ask her, what did you fail at today? And uh, if she said, I, I didn't fail at anything, he would say, oh, that's, that's too bad. You know, and she said that just established a culture for her in which failure was an expected part of trying hard things. That if you're trying hard things, you're going to fail sooner or later. And, you know, I've always been fascinated how different people go about the creative process. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Uh, I listen to Joe Rogan. And uh, not too long ago, he had Chris Stapleton on, the, the musician. And Chris actually lives uh, just a few hours from me here uh, in central Kentucky. He's from Paintsville. And he was asking uh, Chris about songwriting. And that's how he got his start at, in a publishing house writing songs. And he kind of walked him through that process. And it was interesting when he talked about there were two different ways he did it. As an individual, it might be just strumming a guitar and waiting for a word to come out. But he said the real key for him was collaboration. If he had someone to write with and they were sharing ideas, they were talking about different things, uh, that really kind of stoked his creative fire. So can you talk about that a little bit? I know you, know, you have a love for music as well, and maybe you've even tried to write a few songs, but that, that seems a little overwhelming to me, but I'm so glad we have people like Chris Stapleton that's doing it. No, I agree with you, and, and collaboration is so critical. Um, <clears throat> you know, we live in a world where it's so easy to just retreat into your own little bubble and only hear things that you agree with and only interact with ideas that reinforce what you already believe. And I think one of the things effective collaboration does is it pushes us outside of our comfort zone and forces us to have to think about things through a different lens. And so what I hear when I hear Chris Stapleton say that is, you know, if I write a song, it's going to sound very much like the songs I've written before, or it's going to be kind of in the same vein in the sense that, you know, I go back to the same chord patterns over and over. I go back to the same melodic ideas over and over because that's just kind of what, where the grooves are in my brain. We tend to fall into the grooves you know, of our brain. But when I'm collaborating with somebody else and they do something surprising to me, well, surprise is an important part of the creative process. When we're surprised by something, a new connection, a new neural connection is made, and suddenly we're awakened to a possibility we didn't see before. Well, that's part of the beauty of collaboration is you get somebody who's complementary to you who is able to introduce a new melodic idea that you would never intuit on your own. You would never get there, but they do that. And suddenly it opens up this entire area of exploration for you. And the same thing applies to writing. It applies to business. It applies to any creative field where you have to come up with ideas. You really want people who are willing to, if you're taking risks and they're taking risks in turn and they're introducing ideas honestly and authentically, and there, there's a, an environment where there are um, low latent inhibitions. So people are willing to say things that perhaps uh, make them look a little silly or maybe, you know, and this is advice I give to leaders all the time. Listen, you have to be willing to throw out the first terrible idea in a meeting because when you do that, when you're in a collaborative meeting and you throw out a terrible idea, it makes everybody else think, well, my idea is not that bad, right? Like, and that's the bozo that's leading the meeting. And I'm, you know, my idea is way better than that guy's idea. Um, so you have to be willing to do that. 
And I think that's what happens in great songwriting. I did actually write songs in my my 20s and I did a lot of collaborative songwriting, which is great. Um, and the best songs were always ones where I was writing with someone who had a completely different approach, a different style, a different something. And we met somewhere in the middle, but it was always a beautiful blend of our uh, respective perspectives and styles. So I think that's what great collaboration does is it pushes us out of that comfort zone, pushes us out of the ruts and helps us explore territory that would otherwise go unexplored. You know, before we came on air, we got to catch up just a little bit. And I told you that I spent some time as a school superintendent in Illinois. I did that for 15 years. Uh, something I talk about a lot with my listeners just to share some personal experience. But I remember having administrative team meetings with my principals, assistant principals. And a lot of times, especially early in my career, I had what I referred to as bobblehead meetings where you have people nodding and shaking their head the entire time. And right, it, it right. finally dawned on me that if, if everyone agrees with everything I say for the entire 45 minutes to hour meeting that we're going to have, we're not going to make a lot of progress. And that's right. why, that's why I love your approach with herding tigers. I would have loved to have been in a situation in which all these innovative people and ideas were coming at me from all different directions and then worry about how to manage that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and frankly, some people are intimidated by that. You know, I think in some ways you're a bit of a rarity in that you want that, you want that challenge. You want that, you know, I think a, a lot of, and this is part of what I was writing against in herding tigers. I think a lot of leaders just want an e want the easy path, right? A lot of people want to be the leader, but they don't, they're not willing to do what's necessary to lead. In order to lead, that means you might have to surround yourself with people who are way more competent and capable than you are at any individual discipline. And you have to figure out how do I challenge these people in such a way that they're going to produce their best work and create a culture in which our, the expectation is I am continually improving, that we are striving for something that seems a little bit beyond our reach. That's a difficult thing to do. But unfortunately, the norm, as you said, are these bobblehead meetings, uh, you know, in, in, even, in, you know, even in successful companies in corporate America, that's often the norm, um, you know, because I think a lot of people just don't want to rock the boat. Um, they don't want to make waves. And so, uh, you know, it ends up creating a culture of I go to work, I get a paycheck and I don't complain. And I just sort of wait for my chance to climb the ladder, you know, but it's, it's unfortunate because I think a lot a lot of people compromise their body of work because they're not willing to step into the fray and say, you know what, I'm going to do what's right, even when it's uncomfortable. And, and I've heard you make reference to the book as a roadmap to leading the creative process. And we certainly want people to run out and buy the book. It's fantastic. But there are some core principles that, that, that you kind of lay out as to what that should look like. And can maybe you tease us a little bit and give us a couple things we can do to kind of uh, stimulate that thought process? Sure. Yeah. And so I think, I think this applies to students as well. I mean, I've never been a teacher in a, in a school before. Uh, I mean, I teach executives all the time, but I've never been a teacher inside of a school, but the, really the two core things that highly creative talented people need from their leadership, or in this case, we could maybe say students need from <laughs> their teacher um, are stability and challenge. Stability, meaning that there's clarity of process, clarity of expectations, that we know where the boundaries are. There's a myth about creative people that they just want complete freedom. Don't fence me in. Just give me complete wide open spaces to play in. But that's not true. Most highly talented creative people need some kind of bounding arc to their energy. They need some kind of boundary to show them where to focus their creative efforts. If they don't have that, 
then their energy is going to wash out on the plane, right? There's an old saying that a river with banks runs deep, but the river without banks washes out on the plane. And that's what those boundaries do. They give you strong banks um, to channel that creative energy. So you need clarity of process. You need clarity of expectations. Here's what I expect from you when I expect it. Here's what the process is going to look like. Um, so there's some stability undergirding the process, but they also need challenge. They need to be pushed. They want to know that you have faith in them, that you see them, you understand them, that you see things in them maybe that they don't even see in themselves. They want to be pushed beyond their current uh, experiences and abilities so that they feel like they're being challenged to go to the next level. Highly talented, creative people will not stick around for very long in an environment where they're not being pushed. Or in a school setting, you're going to lose them. You're going to lose the, the creative, talented kids if they, don't, if, if they feel like this is a lather, rinse, repeat every day and they don't feel pushed and they don't feel seen, um, they don't feel unique and challenged by their leader, their teacher, um, you're going to lose them. You're not going to lose them physically because they're compelled to be there, but you're going to lose them emotionally and mentally. You're not going to have them. Now, the problem is stability and challenge exist in tension with one another. So as you stabilize, you tend to reduce the amount of challenge, right? Because you're making things more clear. The process is more clear. You're creating more space for the work to get done, those kinds of things. Um, and as you increase the amount of challenge people experience, you destabilize by nature, destabilize the environment. So you need to understand as a leader, uh, what mix of stability and challenge each person on your team needs in order to thrive. And that's going to be different for every person. It's not set it and forget it, right? So if somebody comes to you and they're angry with you, it could be because they're being challenged beyond their level of stability. Maybe they don't understand the process. They don't understand the basics. They don't understand expectations, whatever it is. Um, and if people feel bored or stuck, it's probably because they're not being pushed, they're not being challenged enough. Now we know this in schools, right? I mean, I'm sure that, that any teacher listening to this or any administrator knows when a student gets bored, well, it's because they're not being challenged, not being pushed. The exact same dynamic happens in corporate America. And I see it all the time, right? We settle into the grooves and we just kind of ride it out. And it's unfortunate. But if we just have our finger on the pulse of our team and understand those two basic dynamics and make it make an effort to have an intentional conversation with team members about stability and challenge, it can significantly help us build a better culture in which people feel vested and, and in which they can thrive. And the book obviously goes into a lot of detail about what stability and challenge entails and how to, how to provide it. So. And, and, you know, we also talk about the fact that as a leader, you know, one of our responsibilities or roles is to motivate our team to achieve greatness. And, and I think about how to do that. And then I also think about who motivates the motivator. Who motivates that person that's in charge? Who motivates you? I mean, are, are there blogs or people that have influenced you, podcasts, books that you've read? Uh, you know, can you lead us to some new resources? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so I, I listen to a wide range of uh, podcasts. Um, I, I'm probably a lot of the ones that people are very familiar with. You know, I love, I love hearing interviews with people who have accomplished things, people who have actually done things. Um, so I, I, I believe, you know, Tim Ferriss does a great interview. He, he always does a deep dive uh, with uh, people who have accomplished a lot of great things. Um, I listened to a podcast called The Moment with a guy named Brian Koppelman. 
um, who interviews mostly artists and filmmakers and actors and things like that. But um, it's always really interesting to hear their story and kind of hear about the, the, the podcast centers around key moments in their life where they made a decision to go one way or another. Um, so those are just a couple of, of, you know, sort of podcast based resources. Um, I, mean, I, I read a ton. Um, and I would say, um, the two biggest influences, it's funny. Cause again, I, I mentioned, I spoke at this conference last week and, uh, the, the guy who introduced me to Thomas Merton actually had not personally Thomas Merton died in the sixties, but Thomas Merton was a Catholic mystic and monk, um, cloistered outside of Louisville, Kentucky at Gethsemane. Um, in the 1960s and wrote some of the most profound things about culture that uh, I think ever have ever been written. And the guy who introduced me to Thomas Merton's work was sitting in the audience among the 1200 people at this conference I spoke at last week. And so I put a Thomas Merton quote up on the, on the screen and I'm like, by the way, that guy sitting right there is the guy who introduced me to this guy. But Thomas Merton um, probably has influenced my thinking as much or more than anybody else. Um, his Books. Um, obviously, they're coming from a, a certain perspective, from you know the perspective of a Catholic monk. But I think he was very prescient in terms of some of the things he wrote and said about what's going on today. Um, I would say um, probably the 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 two best books I've read in the last year um, are Principles by Ray Dalio. Um, so if you're building a culture and you're trying to understand how do we build a, a culture in our school that is consistent. Um, you know, he talks, he writes a lot about building the machine. Uh, you know, you have an outcome you want to achieve. Well, you have, all you have to do is figure out where you want to get to, what, what outcome you want, and then just work your way backward and build a machine to get you that. And then just on a regular basis, just say, okay, what part of the machine is broken down and how do we need to fix that machine so we can get what we want? Um, so that, that's a really great book. And then another one comes out actually next week. It's by uh, a friend, Scott Belsky. It's called the messy middle. Um, and I actually have an interview with Scott coming up on, on my podcast and it's, um, about the, the messy part, middle part of the creative process and sort of what happens between the time you have an idea and the time that the idea is out in the world. And it's about all of that messiness that happens in, in the middle part of it. So I'd recommend picking up either one of those books if you're, interested in sort of this whole how do you build something that that stands the test of time kind of thing well i know you have a large following uh both with your podcast and on twitter actually a good friend of mine dr glenn robbins is a uh, superintendent in new jersey and he's one of the ones that really started tweeting out about the herding tigers book and, and turned me on to your work uh, one of my goals, quite frankly, is to get you out of the corporate boardroom and get you into schools or speak, <laughs> speak at education conferences because I, you have yeah. so much to offer to K-12 education. So if you had an opportunity to kind of give your pitch to those, uh, uh, whether it's school leadership associations, education conferences, or just school districts that want to come in and do some, some work with you, I mean, what's the pitch to them uh, to bring in Todd Henry? Yeah. So, you know, listen, you obviously, I don't think most people get into education for the fast cars and the, you know, lavish lifestyle and, you know, all of the amazing perks that come with, you know, being an educator. I mean, you obviously get into education because you care about kids, you care about our society, you care about culture, um, you know, and that's great. That's fantastic. And I also know, having known many teachers in my life that, um, you start off with that really bright sort of shiny optimistic perspective and over time it becomes more difficult to maintain 
that clarity and that precision and that productive passion that fuels you early in your life and your career, because it's just hard. I mean, what you do is really, really difficult. Um, and few people I think understand that who haven't been in that world. And so it's hard to care about something deeply and at the same time develop sort of a hard shell of cynicism about <laughs> what you do. And so what, um, I guess my pitch would be, listen, um, if you want your students to be brilliant, that begins by you taking care of yourself, taking care of your process, taking care of how you approach and refresh your process on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Um, if you want to be brilliant when it matters most, then you need to begin far upstream from the moment you need that brilliant idea to emerge. And so um, I just encourage all of you listening, um, take care of your process, take care of yourself. Um, if you're not inspired, you can't inspire. Uh, and so make sure that you're doing those things that are necessary, building rhythms into your life to sustain your desire to be brilliant for the students that you serve. And in the end, if you're purposeful and you build practices and you build disciplines and you build all of these things necessary to preserve your process, you're going to build a body of work that's reflective of what you're capable of. And you're going to, you know, at some point point to that body of work and say, yes, that represents the sum of what I was capable of, not the sum of my greatest compromise. Our, stu our students deserve the best you. Um, but in order to present that best you, you need to take care of yourself. And that begins by building practices in your life. And I think that's very well said. So the name of the book, again, is Herding Tigers, Be the Leader That Creative People Need. And if you're an educator out there listening to this show, Todd Henry is the real deal. So if you want him to come and work with you, whether it's team building, how to create innovators, creative kids, creative curriculum, he's the guy. Todd, I can't thank you enough for being here and i do want to give you just real, a real quick closing comment where can we find you and what do you have planned for the rest of this year yeah uh, you can find me at toddhenry.com the podcast is called the accidental creative um, also at accidentalcreative.com um anywhere you search todd henry you'll probably find me uh i'm going to be out on the road speaking and working with uh companies speaking at conferences so uh you know Chances are I'll probably be coming to your neck of the woods at some point in the near future, but make sure you reach out and say hi. Well, thanks for your time. Again, I can't thank you enough. And I do want to thank all of our loyal listeners out there listening to the Reimagined Schools podcast. And as always, folks, remember, do what you can in your school and community to create better schools for kids. Mm -hmm.